0: It's Monday, October 29th, and this is The Daily Dive. Another tragedy strikes the country as the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh was attacked Saturday by a man who had been posting anti-Semitic statements on social media as recently as five minutes before he attacked. In all, 11 people are dead, ranging from ages 54 to 97. Several others, including officers, were injured. Megan Guza, reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, joins us for more details and the community's reaction. Next. After a week of being on edge, with several pipe bombs traveling through the postal system targeting prominent Democrats, federal authorities arrested Caesar Sayok as the pipe bomb suspect. A fervent supporter of President Trump, the FBI was able to track him down because of a fingerprint on one of the packages and DNA on two of the pipe bombs. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for what to expect in the case against Caesar Sayoc. Finally, a big shift in credit score calculations is coming in early 2019. Get ready for the ultra FICO score. Millions of Americans could see a possible 20 point boost in their credit scores. Some of the new factors that will be considered will be how consumers manage the cash in their checking accounts and savings. This is all an effort to boost the number of approvals for credit cards and personal loans. My producer, Miranda, joins us for the details on how you can increase your ultra FICO score. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. After a raging anti-Semite shot up a holy place of worship, on our Shabbat and murdered our extended Pittsburgh Jewish family. We needed to be here because at times like these, we need community. Joining us now is Megan Guza, reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. So we're gonna be talking about obviously the uh, Pittsburgh synagogue shooting. A man known as Robert Bowers has been identified as the shooter. He's in police custody right now. I think he's still in the hospital. What do we know about him, and and if you can, help us recount what happened on Saturday.
1: What we've been able to find so far is he left a trail of anti-Semitism in his wake online. A couple posts have been found on the social media network Gab, uh, including one allegedly that he made minutes before he went in saying... Through your optics, I'm going in, also expressing Jewish people must die. He is still in the hospital. He was shot multiple times in a couple of different gunfights in the few minutes that he was wreaking havoc in the synagogue.
0: Yeah, they said he was in there about 20 minutes total. And as he was leaving, he encountered the first set of police officers, which led to a gunfight. They retreated back into the synagogue. And then he encountered SWAT team members.
1: Right. The first two officers were the the very first two on the scene. They were there within a few minutes after the the call went out. So he exchanged gunfire with those two, wounded both of them, and uh, went back inside. At that point, SWAT teams were starting to converge. Uh, SWAT teams went inside. They were looking for more victims, and they found him on the third floor hiding out, where he also exchanged gunfire, wounded two SWAT officers, but then... I believe he surrendered and was taken into custody.
0: And now he's facing 29 federal charges. People have called him hate crimes. I know the charges are more specific than that. But uh, 11 people total have died in this and several others hurt. In the latest press conference, officials released the names of the victims. What do we know about them? They all seem to be respected members of the community. They're all between the ages of 54 to 97.
1: Right. The 97-year-old woman, she, she lived just a few blocks from the, from the synagogue. Uh, there were two brothers who were neighbors who also lived in the neighborhood. Um, a, lot of, a lot of individuals from Squirrel Hill, the neighborhood where the synagogue is, but also from all over the city and outside the city. And it, it's it's a close knit community. Um, it's it's big, but it's close knit, which I know is cliche, but it's it's definitely true here, especially the Jewish community. And so, every, just everyone's hurting when these names came
0: out. Yeah. How how have they been responding? I've heard officials just say, you know, these losses are are horrible and incalculable. You know, you just people that you know and deal with probably every day, as you said, the, the community is very close-knit. How, how are they responding to all this?
1: Uh, well, if the, if the vigil that they held last night is any indication, um, they're uh, just being very strong. I think the phrase uh, last night was, we are still Squirrel Hill. And I, I think that's going to hold true throughout the grieving process and the eventual healing process. Um, you know, this close-knit community... As well as the entire city, because everyone is, you know, appalled, horrified, mm-hmm. heartbroken over this. And uh, Pittsburgh's a, probably the the biggest little small town is what we call it here. And so everyone's just coming together to to support the people affected, the families affected. And it's it's really just a matter of banding together and helping one another.
0: A little bit more about. Robert Bowers, uh, officials did say that he had an active license to carry firearms and the guns that he had were legally purchased. Right, right. That's right. On his social media account, Gab.com, I never heard of it before this. I think uh, reporting has said that it is a site that has been a little more popular with alt-right activists and white nationalists. But it seems like he found a home there and, you know, reposting things from other people post. And as you said in the beginning, just posting a lot of anti-Semitic things there.
1: Right. uh, uh, The account's been taken down, but, uh, you know, screenshots and photos from other users showed him posting his own hate and also reposting the hateful messages of others right up until he he committed these crimes.
0: Yeah, I think they said five minutes before is when he posted that last thing right before he went in. Um, Right. So what are officials saying is next? Uh, As we said, he's already been charged with 29 counts. Um, does When is he in court? When does all this stuff proceed? I, I think he's still in the hospital, though.
1: He is. He's still in the hospital. Uh, he faces 29 federal counts, and then the local district attorney filed another three dozen this morning. He's supposed to appear in federal court Monday afternoon, actually. Uh, I am not certain if that will happen. There, I, that's too early for me to say. The officials have said, you know, this is going to be a lengthy thing. Uh, they're expecting that the process of processing the, the crime scene is going to take up to a week. Um, there are FBI teams from other cities here assisting in the forensic process, uh, and they've, they've really been asking for patience.
0: Well, thank you, Megan. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know it's a difficult time there, and, uh, you know, uh, just nothing but well wishes for that community there. Megan Guza? Reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Political
2: violence must never, ever be allowed in America, and I will do everything in my power to stop it. The media's constant unfair coverage, deep hostility, and negative attacks, you know that, only serve to
1: drive people apart.
0: Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. On Friday, we had the arrest of Caesar Sayoc. He is the man accused of sending 14 pipe bombs through the mail to various high-profile Democrats and critics of the president. We learned that he was done in by being sloppy. There was some DNA and uh, some fingerprints that they found on some of the bombs. As the picture emerged of him, he, he was one of these people that seemed to have been radicalized on the internet. His social media really turned into a dark place, calling out a lot of these Democrat targets. What do we know about Caesar Sayoc?
2: He seemed to have gotten into these fringe way of thinking over the internet. His family member told uh, media outlets that he was really out of touch with reality and that these conspiracy theories and things that he was reading on the web started to Shape what he was saying. We also know that he held some deeply discriminatory points of view. He told an employer that he didn't like any non white people or gay people, even though the employer herself yeah. was gay. Surprisingly, they kept him in the job, saying that he had done his job well and that otherwise there had been no complaints. And for that
0: reason, he was allowed to stay. Yeah, as you said, the lawyer for the family, I guess, had said that his mom and his family had had said that he had a lack of comprehension of reality. There's a lot of evidence against him. As I said, there was a fingerprint lifted off of one of the packages, some DNA left on some of the pipe bombs. And he appeared to be living outside of this van, this white van that we've all seen now plastered with a bunch of stickers with pro-Trump messages and anti-Democratic messages. It has that CNN sucks sticker on it. And they said that he made these bombs in that van.
2: That's right. There were pieces in the van that were used, soldering tools, envelopes, stamps. Well, we may one day learn that he either didn't think he would be caught or wasn't worried about being caught or maybe thought that the bombs would detonate and therefore destroy that evidence. But it was clearly someone who wasn't operating with a grasp on reality that most people have that had let himself believe these really uh, just out there conspiracy theories that he had turned into just really horrific hate that he channeled into into
0: making these bombs he did have a lengthy criminal history i think they said he had been arrested nine times mostly in florida and so he was known to police in that respect and he oddly enough did make a bomb threat at one point, also,
2: he threatened a power company that he would send them a bomb. There were threats online that he would send a bomb to various people that he didn't like. But there were going through his social media, lots of threats made against people. He had attacked or criticized or messaged the Democratic nominee for governor there, Andrew Gillum, at least 80 times hey. in the past month. So it was very active online.
0: Now, the next part of it, uh, obviously, this guy had some Problems. And everybody talks about the rhetoric and the divisiveness and what's going on in the political culture right now. The president, a lot of his critics are trying to lay blame on him a little bit for kind of creating this. And, you know, you see a guy like this take to those messages and spread those messages, and he's an avid Trump supporter. How has the president been handling this?
2: President Trump and the White House have contended that they didn't tell the man to create bombs. They didn't tell anyone to create bombs. And he didn't. But, this you know. was, but he did tell people <laughs> that it was okay to be violent towards his opponent, that people should be locked up, that he would defend and pay for the defense of people who engaged in violent activities. His critics, particularly those in Congress, are saying that the president has turned up the heat, he's turned up the temperature, he's incited this type of violent thinking and talking, and that you're right, this man was clearly out of touch with reality, but that's what happens when someone engages in that type of violent discussions. And people who are crazy, Hear them. So a lot of criticism for the president and the president insisting that it didn't really have anything to do with him. And also trying to deflect blame onto others. On Sunday, Senator John Cornyn tweeting that Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi had used heated rhetoric at times and that they were equally to blame, pointing to the protesters at the Kavanaugh hearing as sort of a false equivalency, that there was just as much heat on on the other side uh, in this situation.
0: The president even at his rallies, while he will say the teleprompter Trump, as people characterize it, the boilerplate stuff, we denounce this kind of activities, these things shouldn't be happening. When the crowd gets riled up, he doesn't necessarily stop them or put them in their place. There were chants of CNN sucks. And I know that the network has been adversarial to the president at times, but this man Caesar Sayok had that very sticker on his truck. And the president still isn't taking the time to try to calm some of that rhetoric down.
2: That's right. Even at a rally... After this, he said to the crowd, do you want me to tone it down? And they said, no. And he said, that's what I thought you were going to say. He's got the awareness that his tone is turned up and that people think it should be turned down and that his base, his supporters, the folks who show up at his rally, don't want him to turn it down. And so he's not. When he gets up and says measured, pre-written things about unity and bringing the country together, his critics say and rightfully point to sometimes just a few minutes later, where he appears to be contradicting that and saying something uh, much more aggressive or or riling people up after saying everyone needed to turn it down.
0: Final note here, this leads us into right before the midterm elections, the way the president handles these things. uh, Everybody roundly denounces this type of activities, but it leads us right into the midterm elections and how people are going to vote. Well, Trump
2: himself took to Twitter to sort of bemoan the impact that these bombs were having on the midterms, claiming that voting had been really good for Republicans and then these bombs happened and then it got worse and then blaming the media for covering the bombs and not covering politics, which didn't seem to make much sense in terms of how that would be impacting the vote this close to elections. It's hard to tell, but people vote on a motion, very often vote on a motion. And if people feel like the country is in a state of chaos, they feel like President Trump is exacerbating that chaos, that could hurt his party. We'll have to wait and see what people tell us at the election. But this is one of those ones that's really hard to measure because it's really about how it makes people feel at the time.
0: Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
3: You have to have an average balance of at least $400. You have to not been overdrawn in your account in the last three months. And you'll likely get a boost, Oscar, are you ready, of at least 20 points. Joining
0: me now is my producer, Miranda. One of the things that we're always concerned with is our money, our ability to get credit. One of the things that everybody always is concerned for is their FICO score. It's one of the main things that lenders and banks look for when they're going to give you a loan, give you a new credit card, things like that. And right now, the company that is the creator of the FICO credit score, Fair Isaac Corporation, they're planning a big shift in how they calculate these credit scores. And it's going to be a potential big boost to millions of people What do we know about how they're trying to switch up the credit scoring system?
3: They're calling it the Ultra FICO score. I love that name. I do too. It sounds really cool. And it's not meant to weed out applicants. It's not trying to discourage people from seeking or applying or gaining credit. Rather, it's actually designed to boost the number of approvals for credit cards, loans, And other debt, like you mentioned, mortgages, car loans, by taking into account not just your credit history, but also your history of cash transactions. Basically, what they want to do is link your bank account information to see how you spend your money.
0: Not just your credit history, paying back the credit cards and things like that, how much money you have in your just checking account, basically. Right now... People have little control over what's in their credit scores except to contest certain information if they believe it's inaccurate or anything like that. Lenders and collection firms, they feed your payment history data to the major credit reporting firms, which are Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, and they calculate your credit score, your FICO score. And now, as you said, Miranda, they're going to be using your banking information to help adjust that score. So what do we know about what you have to do for your banking information to help it increase your chances of getting a better score.
3: It's actually really easy. It's based on longevity of your account. It's based on a number of things, but here's the basics. You have to have an average balance of at least $400. You have to not been overdrawn in your account in the last three months, and you'll likely get a boost. Oscar, are you ready? Of at least 20 points.
0: That seems so easy. They're saying that with this new adjustments, nearly 4 million people can see an increase of those 20 points. That's crazy. FICO has said that they are in discussions with a lot of lenders and banks that want to use these new scores as like a potential pilot program. Let's see how it goes. People have been wary of giving people credit. They're looking for those ultra high borrowers and people that they know are going to be repaying stuff. But those people are all tapped out. So they need to open themselves up to offering more loans. Right.
3: And they're still feeling the burn of the housing crash. So it's best to think of ultra FICO as sort of like an appeal to your credit. Statement. You got to look at it like maybe I have an average or below average credit limit or credit score because I don't borrow a lot of money or I have a credit card, but I don't ever use it. I really do save it for emergencies. So your credit score may be really lean because of thin borrowing. This is a way to prove that, yeah, you are someone who makes money. You spend your money and you spend your money on stuff and you spend it
0: responsibly yeah. you might not have the best credit history because you maybe you're not using a lot of credit Mm -hmm. but as you said you know it you're using your checking account you're you are spending money regularly they say that 58 percent of people have a score of about 700 or higher that score tops out at 850 you know a score anything under 670 is subprime so I mean, let's say you're somebody doesn't have the best credit Maybe you are about 680 or something and you go through this and you do get a 20-point boost You're at 700 then, so then now you're faring much better. This is the latest in a recent trend of credit reporting and scoring firms that they're trying to help boost consumers' credit scores. Last year, a lot of these credit reporting firms already began deleting a lot of tax lien and civil judgment information from credit reports. They changed how much weight medical bills are impacted on your credit score.
3: Yeah, some of the weight that those potential medical bill collections hold in your credit report. And this is a decade after the subprime mortgage binge. They're trying to find a way to get a new market buying homes and they think that this may be the solution
0: the bars seem pretty low four hundred dollars and not overdrafting for three months
3: that's easy to fix that's
0: pretty easy to come by And
3: part of the problem of this oscar is that a lot of this is going to be predictive they're looking at how you spend your cash and assuming that you're going to use that same kind of mindset to repay your loans and sometimes people are really great with their day-to-day money and just blow off their credit cards you never know thank you miranda thanks
0: oscar